For International Jazz Day, we have the great Aidan with us this afternoon, who is going to talk about all things jazz, singing and how she got into it, which I'm really excited about because I've never met you properly before. So how are you yeah. today? I'm fine. I'm just um, glad of the, a few days off to actually crack on with a few domestic things, um, changing curtains, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm fine, thank you, my lovely. Fine. Good, good. It's nice the sun's at last coming out, isn't it? It's much more optimistic. Oh, definitely. I don't know when that garden would have got tidied up otherwise. Yeah, I know what you mean. Oh, mine still needs a bit of attention. I'm looking out the window thinking, uh-oh. Yeah, same here when I look out the back. But the one that, the, that everybody sees out the front, I've dealt with that. <laughs> <laughs> so will, will all your neighbours be jealous of your front garden then now? I doubt that very much. <laughs> <laughs> might, they might be jealous of my hydrangea, but apart from that, not really. Oh, what it's, it's it? weird, where I live is very weird. I mean, people tend to keep themselves to themselves, so suits me, I guess. What colour's your hydrangea? Is it blue or is it pink? Pink. Okay, what is that acid or alkali? I can't remember. Mm. I don't know. I didn't pay attention to that at school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does it. It doesn't. So if it's if it's one or t'other, then that depends on the, on the colour. Well, it's a beautiful pink, and it seems to growing and needs to be repotted already. So that's all good. Nice, nice. So tell me, um, I went on your website obviously and, and and looked up a lot about you before we had the chat today, and everywhere it says Big Mama. How did that come about? Oh, God, that's a long story. Um, well, how it happened was I ran um, a functions band for about 20 years. And we were doing a wedding. And being the Im impromptu personality that I am, we decided, I just decided, I was just, give me 12 bars in B flat. And, and what happened was I just started singing about um, Mama Told Me, and it became a song, which we played everywhere for about 10 years or more. And, and so my nickname became Mama, and it stuck. And after I finished with my um, function band, I decided I wanted to work with young people, young people that were authentic in the way that they played jazz and the way that they were passionate about it and how they understood it etc and i started with working with a young man called liam stevens one of my favorite pianists and he's heavily influenced by oscar peterson and basically i mean he always calls me mama nobody calls me anything else i mean it's just my nickname it is what it is um, so that's how it came about, and it stuck. I'm working with young people, and most of the young people I worked with, they were um, away from home. We had young people from Birmingham, from Wigan, etc., from Bristol. They were living in London, but they were away from their families and their mums and their dads. And whether they like it or not, and they'll probably shout at me for saying this, but we all need our mums and dads. I don't care who you are. Even me, myself, I lost my mum a few years back and I lost my dad about three years ago. 
and I still miss them. It's just one of those things that you can't replace. And if you have someone around who cares for you in the same way or in a similar way, it's something that I guess they treasure. They treat me like the matriarch of the band. Um, and so everybody calls me mama. It, it, it is what it is. And even people older than me call me mama. <laughs> and I look at them and think, nah, that's not going to work. But yeah, it's just my, it, it's become my nickname. And it's been my nickname now for about 15 years. Wow. Cool. So it's definitely that's why I decided to to create a, a company called Big Mama Music. And it is through Big Mama Music that I book my band and sometimes for other organizations that are looking for music. Um, for example, some financial company up in the city might want a gypsy jazz band. It's through Big Mama Music that that will happen. So um big mama really stuck and of course as you can tell i like a sandwich <laughs> so, <laughs> i love my food um so it's stuck that's it there's, 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 there's no more complicated than that aha uh-huh. that's so cool isn't it i i um when i was younger i always wanted a nickname i never had one and i don't have one now it's just not meant to be it just comes about doesn't it Indeed. I mean, when I was at school, my nickname was Louis. Uh-huh. Because I used to take Louis Armstrong. <laughs> and I used to take the mickey out of Louis Armstrong and do impressions of him. And, and my nickname ended up being Louis. I've had a number of nicknames over the years. But Big Mama is the one that I kind of, I'm most affectionate about. I love it. I love Big Mama. And people see me as a matriarch in the music business and, especially the young jazzers they tend to ring me and text me and message me and ask for advice and support even if it's just my mum shouted at me this morning it's 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 just it's nice to be able to be there for people yeah I love it Mm. that's great that's really nice and so so you used to take we used to mimic Louis Armstrong then in the playground. Oh, when I was at school, yeah. <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> and is that your earliest memory of jazz or is that is there something even earlier? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, my father was a jazz musician. My dad was a jazz musician. He played saxophone. He played clarinet. He played Red Bull pianist. But he, but he was a good musician. And he loved jazz so much. He could fill a room with jazz, with vinyl of the best of the best, from Basie to, um, let's say, when it came to instrumentalist, he could fill it from from Basie to um, Oscar Peterson to you name it. The, the room was absolutely full of jazz and vocalists. He loved a great jazz vocalist. That's one of the things that he loved. And he loved Peggy Lee. He loved Judy London. He loved Eddie Gourmet. And he, at six years old, that was my first introduction to jazz to answer your question. Um, he gave me a Sarah Vaughan album at the age of six. 
Now, this album's called Your Mind You, produced by Quincy Jones. It's one of the finest jazz albums in existence. And my mother went absolutely ballistic and said she needs a dolly. She wants toys. She doesn't want a jazz album. And years later, 20 years later, when I was heading off to Singapore to do a contract there, she said, your dad was right, wasn't he? He knew. He knew. She said, but don't tell him. So um, he kind of picked up a bass in my voice, which is one of the things he used to say to me. You've got a bass in your voice like Sarah Vaughan that no, it's very rare. And so that's why he gave me a Sarah Vaughan album at the age of six. I fell in love with her and the, and, and Quincy Jones's production. I mean, mm. at, the, at, at that point, he didn't have the technology we have today. And to have to walk around with all of that orchestration in your head and to be able to deliver that, it's just unbelievable. So yes, so I fell in jazz, love with jazz at a very, very young age, very young. Mm. And did you used to sing along with her tracks? Yes. <laughs> what was your favorite one? Still, actually, do you know what? I still haven't got my band to play this yet. Not their fault, but it's mine. It's Your Mind You, the title track. Oh. Um, but most of the tracks on that album I have performed at some point. Um, second time around is another one that I need to get my my lads to 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 get their head around. But I've got, you know what it's like when you're setting up um, various sets. I mean, I have a generic set, and then what I tend to do every few years is I make I add new songs to it, so eventually that it becomes a new set, but organically so. But it's one of those songs, because I have an ability, I suppose, to deliver ballads, I have a tendency to have too many. So I have to just wait for my moment to add some more. But almost every song on that album I've performed at some point. Mm. It's just a wonderful, I have it three times on CD. I know it's sickeningly sad, but I have it three times on CD and twice on vinyl. I just don't mm -hmm. want to be without it. It's just, I suppose it part, it forms part of that unconditional structure of family and history that I don't want to be without. It's one of those. And do you have them situated in different places so it's always to hand? Let me see. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> hey. Um, yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I mean, I jazz for me is not only about um, falling in love with a specific artist. It's about the whole form of it and the, the, the what it allows people to do in terms of putting yourself inside of a song. Um, so it could be Christian McBride, it could be Errol Gardner, it could be Ray Charles, even in terms of blues, for example. It could be Peggy Lee, it could be Julia London, it could be Eddie Gourmet. It, 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 I can't say every day I'm going to play that particular artist, but yeah. at the same time, there are some artists I make sure are to hand, and Sarah Vaughan is one of them. So she's one of your key inspirations. Biggest inspiration. And people tell me all the time that they can hear it. 
and 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 my response is good <laughs> i'm glad you can hear it because she's quite unique that range i mean she's a contralto she's very yeah. deep her voice is very deep and so is mine as you can hear i spent years when you know when you're doing your office job and people say your name is sir no it's not sir <laughs> because my voice is so deep and so we are very similar in that way and our upbringings was very similar in terms of what our parents did so i have quite a connection with her in that way and i've read her a biography twice um and so yeah i'm influenced by her i don't I, I absolutely am delighted that I'm influenced by her because she's one of the best. Yeah. And are there any other big influential people to you? Oh, Risa Franklin. When I sing soul, um, I dig blooming deep because, I mean, I grew up in the 70s and the whole Philly label thing was going on and, you know. And for me... Aretha Franklin has got that unconditional sing it and be damned. You know that phrase, publish and be damned? It's like sing it and be damned. It's just don't worry if you look ugly singing it. If you need to get that sound out of your mouth, if you need to her, you, you do it. You know, because she has a, a completeness in the soulfulness that she delivers. And people say she's the queen of soul. Yeah, I think I, I would agree with that because she has that ability to dig deep inside herself and deliver the soulfulness that soul is about. So my other influences would definitely be Aretha Franklin. I mean, I just find her so wholesome. She has a holistic approach to music in that this is me. I love this song and I'm going to deliver it. And that, that, that's what, there's some singers that are able to sort of get inside the lyric of a song and deliver the story. Sorry, I'm going to close my window because there's someone being silly with their horn out there. Um, and and it, it, it's about being able to deliver what the story is about, what the lyric is about, what's that story. I mean, if you take a song like Misty, I couldn't believe when I heard Aretha Franklin sing Misty. And it just goes to show the type of singer she is, because not every soul singer will take on a song like Misty. Mm. Um, Errol Garner was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful pianist and composer. But for Aretha Franklin to take on that song, her soul was ready to deliver what that song was trying to say so yeah Aretha Franklin Sarah Vaughan Eddie Gourmet was a big influence as well Latin American singer unbelievable vocals for me I, got, I used to get excited I was excited about somebody being able to take a song and share it with me in a way that it never left mm. You could share a song with me in a way that three days later I could still feel what you were telling me, and and I love that, love it. Mm. And I guess those, I I know what you mean. I have some tracks like that, and they kind of they stick with you for life, don't they? Mm. Definitely, mm. absolutely. I mean, you know, there are some songs that I sing that 
um, Eddie Gourmet sang. And to me, they're standards, but to everybody else, they're not. And when I sing them, people think, wow, I've never heard that song before. And yeah, I think it's fantastic when someone can sing a song in a way that it just never leaves. Hmm. And that's interesting what you say about standards, because everybody says, oh, my set has got standards in it. And quite often if I play standards, the standard is kind of what you like, isn't it? It's like what personal to you. And it beca- and it, and it just happens that you didn't write it. And um, and people always say, oh, I didn't even know that song, and you're like, well, it's one of my favourites, you know. But everybody has their own their own gems, don't they, that they love? Absolutely, absolutely. And these standards, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. There's some good musicians out there writing some great stuff, but I do worry about. I say when I say worry, that's been a very small W. I worry about the next 50 years in the sense that who's right, who's the new Duke Ellington, who is the new Errol Garner, who is the new, do you know what I mean? I worry about that because I think we're still in 2022 playing Gershwin, we're still playing Duke Ellington. I mean, Duke Ellington, the structure of those melodies is just outstanding. And I just wonder who is the new Duke Ellington, I wonder. Mm. I really wonder because we need them because why I say we need them well we have young musicians and I'm surrounded by a lot of them 20 somethings that play jazz with a level of authenticity that I find astonishing and I'm really in wonderment about and I'm just delighted with but I'm just wondering what they're going to play when they're my age because they can't, well, then maybe they can't. They can, of course, still still play Duke Ellington, but who is writing? Who's the Duke Ellington of 2022? Who is he? Who is she? Because our young people need to play music that's going to last that number of decades. That, that, you know, it's something that I find very interesting. Mm. Yeah, good thought. There are some great orchestrators around there at the moment. Indeed, so yeah. I think perhaps it's coming around in a cycle. I hope so. I really hope so. I think what they had back in the day, because of course it was their pop then, to be fair, but what they had back in the day was melodies that stayed with you, whereas yeah. today we have a lot of very technically, academically brilliant musicians uh, coming out of universities playing wonderful stuff and because I've been around for so long I can appreciate what they're doing but what that connection with the audience in terms of a melody that's going to stick around for three decades three or four decades that's where if I have a concern that's probably where it is because I want our young people to be writing songs that on here for the next 40, 50 years, because jazz needs to survive. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and do you write your own stuff as well? Yeah, I've written some. I mean, I've literally bought a, com- a, a keyboard yesterday. Um, I've, been, I've been spoiled. I mean, me and Amazon and a glass of wine. Um, but the thing is, I mean, I'm spoiled. I mean, I've worked with 
musicians like Roger Lim, who was an incidental producer of music for Miss Marple and Doctor Who and so on. And I always had those people around me to help develop the ideas that I had. So yes, I've written stuff. Um, if you go online, you'll find The Ladies in Love. That's one of mine. Um, and you'll find other things that I've written. But I think, yeah, I'm ready to start writing again. I'm ready to start writing again, definitely. But it's be, I, I'm, I'm quite curious and excited to find out who or what I'm going to be writing about. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to, to writing again. Yeah. So um, when I was writing my last album, I decided every Wednesday was composition day for like two hours because I needed a bit of like structure of setting that time, which is how I did it. And I had titles and then I wrote the music to go with it. How do you go about it? It's normally a vibe. I mean, one of the, my favourite songs, which I'm going to re-release, actually, yeah. is called Running Away. And sometimes the best thing you can do in life is walk away. And I was at that situation in my life where I felt, well, doesn't matter how I feel about this person. The best option for the rest of my life is to walk away. And so it's called running away is not my style. So basically it's about, you can call me an idiot if you like, but I'm going to go because that's the best thing for the rest of my life. It's called running away. It's one of my favorites that I wrote. Okay. And so I'm going to re-release that. I might remix it as well. Um, so where do I start? It's normally with a vibe, something that's happening to me at the time. And I need to express it in some way. And that, that's basically where I begin. At the moment, I'm in a decent place, I suppose. Um, and really, I'm kind of in a place where I want to write about without trying. It's difficult because I want to write about the state the world's in, but I don't want to write about it with, by being too depressing, which is very difficult to avoid. Because at the moment, I, I used to listen to LBC radio every single day, all day. And I stop for the moment because I'm finding it difficult to come out from under the pressure of feeling useless. I can't do anything about the terrible things that's going on. And what I want to write about at the moment, which is why I bought the keyboard yesterday, was because I want to write about that feeling of being Joe Bloggs in a street in the suburbs of the UK and feeling useless that I can't do anything about it. Yes, I could have my back room for someone from Ukraine or from Algeria or from Iraq or wherever they, the refugee may come from, but I can't really fix what happened. Mm. And, and so I want to write about that uselessness, how you feel um, as if you, you can't fix it in any way no matter how much you want to. So that's my next project, so to write about what we can't fix. And who do we go to to, talk, to to try and make ourselves feel better about the world and move forward in a positive step? Because we mm -hmm. have to find the positivity. If you can't fix it, that's fine. But we have to find 
a positive step forward. That because if we don't, what's next? So we have to find our way forward, and that's what I'm wanting to write about. Let's find those positive issues that we can develop and move forward with. Mm. You're right. Is a feeling of hope. Oh, you feel hopeless with it. It's hopeless. But the reason I want to write about it is there's a big question mark. Is it really? What can we do to make people feel more positive about the world we're living in? Because we mm. have to. Otherwise, I don't know. That's why I want to start writing again. It's because I feel that we need hopefulness. We need to be hopeful. We need to be positive. We need to... Just because you don't have a back room, you can put a refugee in, doesn't make you any less of a human being. It's just the world is a mess. But how do you find stability and warmth and everything within your own life and still accept what's going on? So that's that's really, I know it sounds really deep and annoying, but that, but that's what I want to write about. I want to make people feel better about themselves. I want like a big subject on your shoulders, but I think it will be cathartic at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be therapeutic for me, but I, I just want to share that just because you don't have a back room that you can help someone with doesn't make you any less of a human being, doesn't mean you care any less. Um, and that, you know... <sighs> there is a balance between what's great in your life and what you can't fix. Yeah. That, that's what I want to write about. Maybe I should have said that to start with. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it kind of comes back to the big mama head, doesn't it, of like... Wanting reason. to help, wanting to be the major... Yeah, yeah, you're right. To wanting to be the matriarch. <laughs> Sorry? I love that. Wanting to be the matriarch, wanting to help, wanting to cuddle people, wanting to be the person that says it's going to be all right. Um, You'll get us all phoning you, you know. Sorry? <laughs> You'll get us all phoning you going, Aiden, please help, what do I do? That's You'll fine. Be like, oh, That's fine, because I know what it's like when you don't have the opportunity to make that call. Mm. And it's who I am. It's always who I've always been. And I'm not going to change. My mother said to me, quote, unquote, you have the gift to give. Don't ever change. Oh. Well, shit. But that doesn't mean you have to be. And that, you know, and, and that's me. Sometimes I will get phone calls from people and say that I'm really depressed and um, this is this and this is that. And they're a musician and. I will never, ever, 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 as God is my witness, I will never divulge what they tell me. But mm -hmm. the fact that they're able to ring me and share, I know that I put the phone down and they feel better. That, that for me, that's what Big Mama is. That's what she's supposed to do. It's her job. Yeah, I can, I get that. It's my job. You know, I just, I love, I love people. I love human beings. So... Yeah, that's great. I feel the warmth coming out of the screen at me. Oh, good. <laughs> 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 I 
So you said that, uh, that your dad was a musician. Yes. And did you did you do did you go down the route of having lessons and things to get you into music, or are you more self taught and you just sort of found your own journey along the way? How did that I'm happen? I'm self taught and I found my journey along the way. But both my sisters had um, piano lessons and they were supposed to teach me, which they never bothered. Um, I learned to play piano by ear. And then, as I said, I was spoiled with the musicians around me. Um, and yeah, I literally just found my way. I mean, it was a question of going out with friends and and singing when I was out and about and people said, my goodness me, you need to do something with that, which so I did. Um, I started working with instrumentals from George Benson, Masquerade, this Masquerade was almost like a, a theme tune for me for a while. And I thought if I could conquer this masquerade and songs that appeared at the time to have the complexity, then I could conquer anything. And, and, and that's what I did. And I mean, and I, I've never been backwards in coming forwards as you can probably tell, but, um, and, and so, I, I, when you listen to yourself for the first time back on a cassette as it was back then, I was like, oh my God, fathers. And then it got better and it got better, it got better. And, and, and then I just thought, well, I'm going to go out in the world. If they hate it, I'll soon know. Mm. And it just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. I mean, I, I just, I just love performing. I can't. It's not about the accolades, not about the applause even. It's about being able to express myself in a way that very few get the opportunity to do. And I just, jazz music just fills me with so much joy. Just some of the, I, I like the old standards. I love, a, I'm like Sarah Vaughan in the sense that I love a pretty song. And I love the, warmth that I get from it. So when you're not spending your time chatting to others in strife and performing, what are you doing? Changing your curtains? Well, yeah, I mean, I live the life everybody else lives, you know, I'm changing my curtains, I'm cooking a roast leg of lamb for Sunday dinner and um, at the moment what I'm doing is I've, I've got a um, planning to go back in the studio with the boys and we're going to do a new album. I'm sitting here working out what I need to do, whether it's the, the song list, the artwork, the, um, and, and the scheduling, um, the touring, where am I going to perform at? Um, that's what I was working on yesterday. Um, new songs for the set, because I do standards and I need to keep it interesting for the guys. Um, so, so really, and performing and rehearsing because I'm going to rehearse a couple of Sammy Davis Jr. numbers this afternoon. Um, and so that's what I do. Once I've done everything I need to do in the house, that's fine. I've sat down. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rehearse The Birth of the Blues. I love that song. Sammy Davis Jr. is just so warm. I love him. So I'm going to perform that and my... Bass players asked me if I would perform Autumn Leaves, 
which I've done before, but he wants me to perform it in French. I told him to get lost. So <laughs> it's not happening. Because my mother was French Caribbean. So I'm not singing it in French. That's not happening. So and so I'm looking at um, new songs. Um, September in the Rain is one of my favourites. Um, yeah, I just like to reintroduce uh, great songs to, to a new audience. So that's what I'm doing when I'm not changing curtains and flattened grass. That's what I do. So that's the plans for the new album, you say? Hmm. And I, re I when I was... Um, you know, doing a bit of research about you. I saw that you did a live album. Oh, with Keith Ingham. All of me. Yes, yes. It's still very popular in this South in Asia for some reason. And, and how was it? No, so did okay, so I've never done a live album. Did you know it was going to be live, or was it just the fact that it was recorded and it was a great one? Or because how did that come about? Well, yeah, it just happened. Um, it was recorded. It was. It sounded great. E. Keith Ingham is a wonderful pianist, and his comping is fantastic. And it just kind of happened. Um, but what's interesting is that all the studio albums or anything else I've done, that one, for some reason, um, people really like that. I mean, I think it's because it's got something about authentic about it. The fact that he was live, the fact that um, it was Keith, maybe, but um, yeah, it just happened. It just happened. It was literally, we didn't even go out intending to do a live album. It, ju it just happened. Right. Because I, th I think if I knew that it was going to be recorded to be a live album, I'd feel maybe the pressure of every note. Whereas. No, I was sick as a dog. Yeah. I was sick as a dog. Oh. I, was in, I was on the Isle of Wight when that was recorded and I suddenly came down with the worst flu you could imagine. I was so ill. And they said to me, well, you can't go on. You're too sick. And I said, well, the, <laughs> try and stop me. I said, well, I'm going to do it. At the end of the day, there's an audience out there absolutely full. If I perform and I can't sing because I'm sick enough, they'll get it. But if I don't turn up at all, they won't get that. So I need to respect the fact that they're here, so I'm gonna be here. And that's it. Mm. So I went out and I did it. I was really ill. I was so ill. I literally came off the stage and collapsed into somebody's arms. I was so bad. But the fact of the matter remains that, you know, something, the, the, the thing, the show must go on. It's more than that. You've got an audience full of people that have paid 15, 20 quid to see you. Even if you only do three songs, they will appreciate the fact that you tried. And I just want, they came and I wanted to turn up. So, and it turned out I was able to push through and I did more than I thought I could. But yeah, it was great. So Isla White was my home musically for a while. Oh, bless you. That must have been tough, but what, what a trick to come out of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, you just got to push through and you just never know what can come out at the end. But yeah. I just, I believe in just putting everything you've got, whatever's left, into it. 
And if you come out with, even if you came out with three great songs, what the effort you put in was worth it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So do you have, that That kind of isn't a funny, amusing story of a gig. I say that wasn't much fun for you at all, but do you have any other like funny stories that have happened on a gig or on stage? Oh God, over the years, I'm sure there's some, but... Yeah, I've got quite a few wardrobe malfunctions, you know, that sort of thing. As, as, <laughs> as, as, oh, no. I have this nightmare. I've never had any wardrobe malfunctions. Um, oh, yes, I remember I was on stage. It might have been when I was recording the album, actually, all of me. And I, I was so disorientated because I wasn't feeling well. And I actually fell over a fallback. And I fell over on stage. Oh, no. And... and yeah, yeah. I mean, but not much has happened to me on stage. I have to be honest. Um, years and years and years and years ago, when I was really green, um, I turned up to one of these old council um, venues to to play for the local Conservative Party. It served them bloody right. It didn't happen. And it was so. And they actually had round pin plugs, and I had the normal plug that we have at home and so I had to sing the whole thing a cappella but that is literally going back 25 30 years Mm. but nothing major you know no nothing major apart from falling over when I did the album all of me oh but yeah I mean you know I just I don't wear things like that you know some people that carry these things I don't wear these things. Shit happens in life. You just get off with it. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, um, when I was chatting to the lovely Fiona Ross, who um, is obviously the Women in Jazz founder, uh, she said, oh, you should check out an article that you'd written for them. Oh, about um, Louis Armstrong's Yeah, which I found really, really interesting. So uh, did that, how did you find out about that? Was that from impersonating Louis and looking into him more or how did you? No, 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 there was no connection with me being a, a stupid 12 year old at school. No, no, no. Um, it was just looking into women that had an impact on jazz and I came across it quite by accident. And I just thought, well, hang on a minute. How, who really knows about this? Mm. People just see Louis Armstrong, they don't see the wife at all, they don't see any other influences around him, they just see this man. And so I thought there was a story that needed to be pulled out, and so I pulled it out. Yeah. And I'm doing one at the moment about Alice Coltrane, because apparently she's a good, she's a great jazz musician, but it's the name called Train that has a platform that gives her certain opportunities. I'm not saying that's not deserved. What I'm saying is she wasn't married to him that long. So yeah, I want to find out who she was, what music she's performing, why she's wonderful. And I don't want to question the fact that people think she's wonderful. 
But what I want to ask is whether if she never married Joel Coltrane, would that have happened? Maybe, maybe not. But I'm trying to do it in a way that elevates the woman, not put her down in any way. And that's a dilemma I've got with that article, because I just don't ever want to take a woman and put her down for whatever reason. I want to find a way to elevate them. So mm. if if I can't write the article without elevating her, I probably won't write it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, because everything that's gone on over the last 10 years with Me Too, with this, that, and the other, people will fight against it, the, the anti-misogynistic um, um, campaigns and whatever. People will fight against it. But there's a good reason that it's there. And we have to um, put aside anything that may discredit a woman that doesn't have any validity in terms of what she's able to do. So the fact that she's a great jazz musician and people love her, that can never be discounted. And if, if what I have to say discounts that, I'm not saying it. Yeah. Not because it is true or false. It's because the campaign about the validity of women in many sectors is important and we have to fight for it. And, and sometimes you, you don't do something because you can, you, you do something because you should. Uh, and that's, that's where I'm kind of at a, a little bit of a conflict with that because, yeah, so it, it, I'm not, I'm, I'm only going to do it because I think it's the right thing to do. I'm not going to do it because I'm, I don't want to be part of anything that will discredit a woman, especially in jazz, because unfortunately we are seen as um, the decoration to a gig. And that pisses me off, and I'm going to be honest about it. Mm. It pisses me off, Hannah, because my band, and I'll give them full credit for this, they always say to me, your voice is, a, is an instrument and they treat me with the respect that that deserves. But there's been occasions where I've been treated as the decoration, the one that's gonna turn up in a pretty frock. And that pisses me off because I just think that women have so much to give jazz that we can't be seen to be just, you know, the trinkets. So that's where I, I'm at a conflict with the Alice Contrain article. Um, and as I said, I'd rather bury it than be party to any negativity between women in jazz because we need to be seen as important. Hence the article about Louis Armstrong's wife, because it just goes to show you what can happen if you don't, if you don't say hang on a minute, that woman over there was important because of X. If, mm. if you don't, if, if, if you don't acknowledge contribution, you don't acknowledge the impact of an individual, the fact that she's female, I, I, I think that that's damaging and we need to make sure that we don't do that moving forward. So, yeah, I'm looking for women in jazz that are having an impact. I, I, even no matter how small, 
um, that I can write about at the moment. That that's my one of my pet projects at the moment is to find women, particularly in jazz, who are having an impact that are wonderful vocalists that are just being treated as if they're trinkets and the pretty thing that stands there. And that irritates me. If she happens to be beautiful, then good on her. But that's not what she's there for. And and so I'm I'm looking at the moment. I'm having a little bit of a dig around to see what else there is out there that I can do to promote the impact that women have on jazz. Mm. Watch this space. Yeah, definitely, Hannah. Because it's it's I'm tired of seeing. I mean, there's a young girl. I'm not going to mention her name, but she she came to the Soho Jazz Festival, I was headlining and she came along and this woman opened her mouth and I thought, oh my days, what a voice. And all I could hear from the certain people, gosh, she's really pretty, isn't she? And I thought, for fuck's sake. Mm. Yes, yeah, she is. But listen to that voice. Listen to what we could have in 50 years' time to remember her. And all you can say is that she's pretty. Uh, <laughs> Hannah, it makes me cross. Yeah. Because we have such an impact on the music. And because we are women, and myself in particular, when you get to a certain age, you, you have a matriarchal role. And I think it's important that you use that wisely and that you say to people, you know, you talk when you're having a conversation with young people, I'm not saying it's a conscious thing, but I think it needs to be included in your conversation about women that have had an impact in the music you love. Because if you don't, once again, for the next 10, 20 years, they're just going to be discounted. And I can't be part of that. I have to, I have to make people understand that women are they're not just something to decorate your stage they're here to make music better on so many levels if you don't go step back step back and look at it you won't see those levels you won't understand them mm. sorry i'm on my soapbox now i will get off <laughs> oh no i can't think of a better guest to have for international jazz day it's just Perfect, you're just amazing. I'm just so cross sometimes when I see, it just so happens sometimes that a girl has a great voice and she's beautiful. And it's almost as if they can't separate the two. That here's somebody, for example, let me put this in another scenario. If you had someone who was an incredibly bright, intelligent, engineer you wouldn't comment that how beautiful she was you just wouldn't this is an engineer that's helping to build bridges let's say uh, i'm just using that as an example possibly a pure poor one but if you had an engineer who who was helping to to engineer bridges of the future that won't collapse or whatever it might be the fact that she's beautiful would be a sidebar issue 
But when she's performing as a jazz musician and contributing to music that's going to enrich people's lives for the next 50 years, suddenly the fact that she's pretty is important. Piss off. It's not. Yes, she's beautiful. I'm sure her mother told her that. But we need women in jazz that are going to contribute in a way that develops jazz as a music moving forward. As you can see, I'm very passionate about it, honey. It makes me really cross because I don't want someone to be, you know, I don't want to buy into this whole ugly, beautiful BS that we buy from wherever it might be. But I'm saying that I don't want to discount the fact that somebody is absolutely beautiful, but beautiful in whose eyes at the end of the day? That's the first thing. The second thing is her purpose on the stage is to be, as a, a musician, as important as the guitarist, as important as the pianist. And, and if the pianist or the guitarist or whomsoever feels that she is not that important, what can you do to elevate her to that status? Because putting her down is not going to make that happen. Mm. You know what I mean? Because sometimes I feel I've heard and I've spoken to musicians who say, I can't stand working with singers. I never know when to come in. I never know this. I never know. Have you tried to help her? Because if you've got a young singer that's got a great voice and she doesn't know when to come in, what have you done to help her? You're standing here rubbishing her today. Okay, maybe you're right. Maybe she didn't know when to come in. But what did you do to help her contribute to the business that you love so much? Mm. That's where I'm at, Hannah. I'm kind of at a point where we have got to elevate women in the business because they contribute so much and they are not just the pretty things to decorate your damn stage. They are musicians in their own right. If they know how to scat, they know when to throw a note. They know when to play within the triad of the chord. They know what to do and when to do it. They need to be elevated and appreciated and shared and talked about in the same way, with the same passion and the same love. Yeah. Sorry, right. I went off on one, but I can't help it. It just makes me cross. <laughs> I love that. It's good. You know, you should have, you should have your passions, and you should speak strongly about stuff. That's the whole point. It's important to me, Hannah, because yeah, I come across so many great jazz singers, and and some who are not so great, and they seem to be the same ones winning awards year after year. And I couldn't tell you from the last one because there's there's no distinction in your vocal pattern, but yet still. Maybe you sit, fit a certain program, and that's why that you're always winning awards. But then I'm seeing uh, singers that are under the radar that are so brilliant, and and yet still they are put down a because they don't have those accolades and whatever it is behind them, but that nobody is prepared to say, you know what. When you were singing that song, you came in on the wrong at the wrong point. Let's just try that bar again when there's no one around and let's help to elevate what she brings to it. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and I think it's important that we do that. I really do. I will dig into what's going on in schools in terms of... But the problem, Hannah, is that today you will be accused of divisiveness. 
but if the divisiveness, if the divisiveness already exists, if you don't recognize it, and that's like being an alcoholic, unless you recognize the problem, you can't fix it. So, so if there is a divisiveness to say, well, with girls at school are not um, supported or encouraged to play jazz or to perform jazz, yes, I might be identifying an, another level of divisiveness, but unless we identify it, we can't fix it. So I'm very passionate about us girls, you know. <laughs> Us women, us women, we got us women. We are the fact that we're women is total. As far as I'm concerned, we're human beings, and we all have passions, strengths, abilities, abilities. And we can, we can have an impact. Say, yeah. And now I'm a pain, aren't I, Hannah? <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're going to need a rest soon after all of this. God. Well, I'll get there. You know, it's it's one as my dad used to say, "How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time?" So at the yeah. end of the day, it's I'm not going to fix it in my lifetime, probably, but I'm going to have a good go. Yeah, good, good. I'm going to have a good go. I'm going to try. I'm going to I'm going to have put a little bit into it and try. You're the right person for it. That's for sure. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Well, we're coming to the end of our chat, which I have adored, by the way. It's been fantastic. Sorry I've banged on. It's just that I'm so passionate about women in, in, in music. I just think, you know. So I'm yeah. sorry if I banged on. Sorry. No, not at all. And I always have two Hannah questions that I ask at the end of a chat. Now, I know the answer to one. The first one is, what would your desert island disc be? And I know it's going to be, you're my new. No. Oh, is it not? What's it going to no. be? No. If there was only one song I could listen to. Yeah. It would probably be Misty. Oh, really? Mm. Look at me. I was a place as a kitten of a tree. Oh, I love that song. No, yeah. it would be Misty. Definitely Misty. Okay. And then my last Hannah question. What's your favourite time signature? Oh, probably 4-4. Oh! Who's isn't? <laughs> Who's isn't? Um, yeah, I mean, straightforward swing. Uh, you know, 4-4, let's go. Okay. Nice. It's, it's been so much fun. Thank you, Hannah. Oh, no, and thank you for coming on to be our guest today for Women in Jazz Media for In Conversation With and especially for International Jazz Day. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm really chuffed to be asked. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been great. And it's been so lovely to meet you. And you, my darling. Thank you. And I am always myself. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm sorry I banged on, but I am me. And that's it. Of course, I think that I I am like that as well. I just think that you should always just be authentic and